Our Old Testament scripture reading is a responsive reading coming from Isaiah chapter 9. You will find the responsive reading there in your bulletin. So hear the word of the Lord. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the last time, he has made glorious land of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The gospel reading comes from the gospel according to John chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 16 through 29. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good 
to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the word of the Lord. So I told you last week, <clears throat> we're just on this fifth chapter. And you know that everyone talks about the first chapter of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. We talk about the third chapter of John as he spoke to Nicodemus about being born again. And then there's the fourth chapter, the woman at the well. Uh, but it's easy to pass over. The fifth chapter, there's a healing of a man uh, that had been paralyzed for 38 years. Because of that parable, there's this going back and forth between Jesus and the leaders of the Sanhedrin. And for the first time in the Gospel of John, we see the hostility to Jesus. And in this chapter, I talked, I spoke last week about how important this chapter was. Because it's one of those chapters in the Gospels, and there are not many chapters like this, where Jesus sets forth in his own words the claims of deity. Now, he does it all through the Gospels, but here it's concentrated. Uh, last week we looked at the healing of this man. This week we're going to look at the claims that Jesus makes as these Pharisees face him. Next week we're going to look at the evidence that Jesus goes on to give, goes on to state in this argument, uh, in this polemic, as for reasons that we should believe a testimonies to his claims. He, he says to the Pharisees, how do you know these claims that I'm making are true? And he tells them, you know, just before the service, someone came to me and said, I love what you're doing in John and I especially like what you're doing in the fifth chapter because it was in reading the fifth chapter of John that I became a Christian. People, this chapter is so important, and I pray that the Lord will bless each one of us individually and bless this congregation as we look at this portion of his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you as your priest once more. And this morning, as always, we would come and bring people before you people around us, our brothers and sisters, our families, our mothers and fathers, our sons and daughters, our grandchildren. We bring them before you, Father, you know each one. And we pray that you would meet their needs. Some have physical and material needs. Father, we all have spiritual needs. And you know each one. We don't have to enumerate. We pray that you would bless them and meet those needs. Father, bring life. We pray that you would give our children and give our grandchildren to Jesus Christ. 
We pray especially this morning for Sandy Berlin that you'll continue to heal him from this surgery and bring a complete healing to him, Father. We pray for Phil and Sally Halley this morning. Father, we pray that you'll continue to increase his movement. And Father, uh, we pray that you would restore him completely, mind and body. Bless Sally as she cares for him. We pray that you'd bring about healing to her foot. Keep her from any further injury. And now as we open your word, Father, as we've understood the greatness of this chapter, John Sartell still can't teach it so that it will make any difference in our lives. He can't preach it so it will make any difference in our lives. That's only by the power of your spirit. And so we pray this morning that in these next few minutes we would hear your voice in each of our hearts, your voice in each of our minds. Father, in many of us, continue that change that you began. And then maybe we pray that you would change some for the first time. Smite us with your grace, Father. Smite us with your word. Oh, Father, we're your children and we're asking you to explain this story again and take us deeper. For the glory of your son, we pray. Amen. What did you do with the audacious and astounding claims of Christ? Let's put this in context. In chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. He tells the man, simply, take up your bed and walk. The man has been living on one of the five patios around the pool of Bethesda. The word Bethesda in Aramaic means house of mercy. And we read in John that there had gathered there, and these are exact words, a multitude of invalids, a multitude of the blind and lame and paralyzed and the people that could not take care of themselves. His bed would have been a straw mat that one could roll up and carry. But he had never done that, never been able to do that. But this day, Jesus invaded his life. And he walks away from that pool carrying his mat. It is a Sabbath day. And over the centuries, the rabbis had made very strict laws concerning behavior on the Sabbath. They had made 39 laws laying out what you could do and what you couldn't do, how far you could travel, what you could carry, what you could pick up. Now, it's important to realize these were not in Scripture, not in the Bible. They were adding laws. Now, they had a sincere intent 
They wanted to regard God's holiness and regard his majesty. But these laws were not there. One of the laws forbid moving anything from where you lived to another place. So this man walks away from the pool, a very public place. He walks away on the Sabbath, carrying his mat for all the world to see. There were some religious leaders who saw him. Sabbath! It's Sabbath, man! Don't you know? What are you doing? And answered, I'm only doing what the man that healed me told me to do. He told me to take up my bed and walk. Who healed you? I don't know his name. We read that Jesus had very quickly excused himself. You can understand that as hundreds of invalids around the pool would have erupted with excitement when they saw this man that they had that had been paralyzed for 38 years, when they saw him walk away, we would all have the same reaction. And in the chaos, in the excitement of that crowd, Jesus just excused himself. So he doesn't know who it was. Later, Jesus finds a man in the temple and speaks with him. The man then goes to the religious leaders and he says, I know who healed me now. His name is Jesus. That's where we left off. So, this sets the scene for the conversation that we read this morning with Brian. The religious leaders go to Jesus and say, you you not only told him to disobey the laws of the Sabbath. Now, I know that some of you are looking at this and say, Well, John's bound to say something here about, isn't that the weirdest thing you've ever heard? Here's a man that was made to walk, and they complain and say, hey, you're carrying your bed on the Sabbath. Do you understand that? They don't say anything about the miracle. Well, we're going to get to that next week and and look at that. But just pass over it for right now. I'm not going to forget it. And yet, but they told Jesus, you not only healed the man on the Sabbath, but you told him to disobey the Sabbath laws. Now, Jesus, got to understand this, Jesus could have easily answered them with what I've already told you. You say, well, this is simple. Jesus just opens his Old Testament and says, hey, guys, show me where it's against God's law to do this. this none of that's written in the Old Testament. There's nothing that says, I can't heal a man on the Sabbath. Why didn't Why didn't Jesus say that to them? He could have. But that would not have said anything about his identity. He uses this occasion to reveal his identity in very plain language. And this morning, this is awesome. This morning, we will hear Jesus himself make his audacious and astounding claims at CCRC. I want you to understand that this is, we're reading what Jesus did, did, what Jesus said, what Jesus claimed. The first thing he said was, I, Sabbath, you want to talk about the Sabbath? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Look at verses 16 and 17. 
And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Jesus answered them. The Greek word there is not Jesus said to them. No. This word is only used here and in verse 19. It means answer. This word is found in court documents of that day when someone was accused, had charges brought against them, they gave an answer to those charges. That's, what Jesus, that's how the word is used to hear. Jesus is making defense of the charges that have been brought against him. When they confront Jesus about healing on the Sabbath, Jesus gives an astounding answer. My father is working on the Sabbath, and so am I. We read in Genesis 1 that on the seventh day, God rested. That word does not mean idle. That doesn't mean he does nothing. He ceased from creating. That does not mean he stopped keeping. He stopped sustaining the universe. He continued to be the God who sustains and rules. If he had stopped sustaining and ruling, the universe would have fallen apart. Every Sunday, you hear me say that we've come to meet with the God who is our creator, our sustainer, and our redeemer. Don't take those words lightly. The naturalistic agnostic is apt to say, well, God created the universe, but it's simply that he wound up the universe. Ever heard this? He wound up the universe and it just continues to function on its own. That God is not actively, and this is what, this is what bothers people about Jesus. This is what bothers the modern liberal and the liberal of the ancient times. No, God doesn't do stuff like that. God's not actively involved every day in our second-by-second lives, minute-by-minute. You know, that's not what Scripture teaches. He didn't wind up the universe and leave it out and and, and let it go on its own. Paul tells us in Acts, I could spend the rest of the time quoting Scripture, just chose one, one verse. Acts 17, 28, Paul said, For in him... In God, we live and move and have our being. We can't live, we can't move. We have no being apart from him. Every moment of every day, God is sustaining his creation. So Jesus was saying that the Father continues his work on keeping and sustaining, even on the Sabbath. Then he says, I am working, and no doubt Here is the Son of God saying, I'm active in my creation, doing what? Healing a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. So he didn't say, no, that wouldn't work. He said, yeah, that's what I was doing. That's what it was about. What he's really saying is, you're concerned about the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Look at Matthew on your scripture sheet. Look at Matthew 12, um, yeah, Matthew 12, verses 6 and 8. He says they're talking about the temple. And Jesus says, I'll tell you, something greater than the temple is here. He's saying, 
I'm the greater temple. But he doesn't stop there. Then in verse 8 of Matthew 12, he says, I'll tell you something greater than the temple is here. And then he says in verse 8, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. The Father continues his work on the Sabbath, and so do I. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Secondly, he makes the claim, I am one with the Father. Look at verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. The religious leaders understood exactly what Jesus was saying. This was a capital offense, punishable by death. He was claiming to be God. It's blaspheming. Not only as Lord of the Sabbath, it says, but he was equal with God. He was, he was doing works that only God could do. And he was calling attention to it. This is what God does, and this is what I do. All of us are familiar with the term Trinity in speaking of God, when we speak of God's being. The Bible teaches very simply all through Scripture that there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that they're the same in substance, the same in power, the same in glory. This is what John meant in the first chapter when he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and finish it in your head, and the Word was God, His deity. And then what happened? The Word became flesh. So He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I'm one with the Father. Thirdly, He says, I speak and give life by the power of my voice. I actually give life by the power of my voice. So look at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Now, do you not stop right there? Stop. What is Jesus saying? He's saying to these people that are already angry, loathing him because he claims he, he just keeps pressing it. He says, I can do whatever the Father does. Think of all the miracles of the Old Testament. Think about the waters parting in the Red Sea. Jesus was saying, I can do that. Let's read on. Look at verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. He said, You're, if you watch me, I'm either going to do greater works. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and underline this, and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. 
from being of the same substance in their being, Jesus now moves to how the Trinity functions. As the Father gives life, so also the Son gives life. Look at it. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life in verse 21, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. And I want to read this again. It's important. Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever, verse 24, whoever hears my word, now whoever hears the word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, Jesus is not speaking here of the final resurrection. He's going to say something about it in a moment, but this is not what he's saying here. He is speaking of the people like Nicodemus who heard his voice. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He's speaking of the woman at the well who heard him speak and believed and found new life. So he says, people will hear my voice, all of us here, sometime in our lives, or most of us here, sometime in our lives, if we're Christians, we heard the voice of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we were changed. That's what Jesus is saying here. I have the power to change lives. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm one with the Father. I speak and give life by the power of my voice. And then fourthly, he says, I speak and raise the dead by the power of my voice. Look at verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. And this time he doesn't say, and now is, when all who are in the tombs. Now, these are actually people that have died physically, will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. We usually, we usually speak of the power of Jesus to raise the dead. When we stand to the grave of a fellow Christian, I can't remember a graveside in all my years that I did not read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 talks about the voice of Jesus raising people from the dead. Look at verse 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who fall asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now look at verse 16. For the Lord himself, that's Jesus, will descend from heaven with a cry of command. People, that's the voice of Jesus. With the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise. He's going to speak. God gave everyone a preview of this when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember John 11? Here's Lazarus is sick and he purposely waits until Lazarus dies until he 
goes to see the family. And Lazarus' sister tells Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You could have healed him. And Jesus tells her that her brother will rise from the dead. There will be a resurrection. Martha says, I know that on the last day, there will be a resurrection. And what did Jesus say to her? Ah, this is a claim. This is what he's saying here. It's a claim he's making. It's astounding. Ah, in the resurrection and the life. And then he said, Martha, do you believe that? And that's what he's saying to us this morning. Do you believe this? Martha, it's not the last day that will bring your brother from the grave. No day, present or the future, has that power. Ah, in the resurrection. That's exactly what Jesus was saying to the religious leaders in John 5. Don't you marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. That's hear my voice. That's what he's saying. So he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm one with the Father. I speak and give life by the power of my voice. I speak and raise the dead by the power of my voice. But he's not finished, folks. He's got one other thing to say. He says, I'm the absolute judge of all of history. I'm the absolute judge. Look at it. Verse 22, for the Father judges no one. He has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And he has given him authority, verse 27, to execute judgment when he, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. In the Gospels, you've seen it. We could, you, if I started asking questions, you could say, well, it's in this chapter, and it's in this chapter where Jesus speaks of judgment. In the Gospels, it's always Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, who is the judge. Just one passage, Matthew 25, look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates a sheep from the goats. Who's the judge in that passage? Jesus. Now stop. That's it. Have you ever experienced another human being saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord you worship on the Lord's day. I am one with the Father. I speak and give life by the power of my voice. And I speak and raise the dead by the power of my voice. I'm the absolute judge of all of history. Do you know anybody that says that? That's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 5. And you can hear him say what he said to Martha. Do you believe this? What are some of the last words that Jesus said before the ascension, before he went home to glory? He said, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's just before we return to glory. Now hang with me. This is huge. We began this morning with our call to worship from Daniel chapter 7. 
And if you have your bulletin, take out your bulletin right now. We're going to reread the first part of that. From the call to worship. Look at the call to worship. It's from Daniel 7. I'm, I'll read just like we did responsively this morning. As, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair of his head was like wool. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is the last dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. All right, I have a question for you now. When? That's a prophecy. You say, who's the son of man? Jesus. When was that prophecy fulfilled? Answer me. When was that prophecy fulfilled? He's standing before the ancient of days and he's given a kingdom. He's given authority. When was it fulfilled? It's one of the most important scenes in all of scripture. The Son of God is returning to glory as a Son of God and Son of Man at the ascension. And the Son comes home to glory, the glory that He left to a welcome like heaven had never seen. Look at Revelation 5, 1 through 7. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne, that's God the Father, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Daniel 7 is fulfilled in Revelation 5. And just write that down. Daniel 7 fulfilled. Revelation chapter 5. Wow. Take a look at that scene. This is the person to whom the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is the person they charged. This is the person speaking to us now. It's not John Sartell. 
I hadn't told you the claims of John Sartell this morning. I've told you the claims of Jesus Christ, trying to be as faithful to what he said as I could. What's our response? Well, our response this morning, and I pray it will be your response, maybe for the first time in your life, our response is going to be hymn number 295, Crown Him with Many Crowns. Let's stand as we sing. fellowship of the Holy Spirit be inside of us and go with us and abide with us and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.